This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. It is now officially season three of your favorite podcast, Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. This is a weekly live hangout, an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World, and joined by co-host Juan. Hey, Tim, how are you doing? This is uh, Juan Cicada, principal scientist here at Data.World, and it's not just the middle of the week and towards the end of the middle of the week, but it's also the start of the year, and what a great way to start this year by, again, just keep talking about data, what we've been doing for over 70 episodes now. It's really amazing. And uh, today, we are super excited about how we're going to start off this season because our guest is Sarah Catanzaro. She is a partner at Amplify Partners who has been one of the lead investors and who has just have her hat. She has her hands all over the place when it comes to all the modern data stack startups. Uh, I love following you on Twitter. Uh, we've had so many awesome conversations. I am so excited uh, about our conversation today. Sarah, thank you for joining us. And how are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm 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 doing well with you know what I showed you before my my fancy turmeric cocktail, which is uh, really just a turmeric shot. But stoked to stoked to have an honest conversation about data as I drink a dishonest cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- this is a good way to start off. So, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? Well, Sarah, you've you've told us what you're drinking. <laughs> How about you, Tim? Uh, I am drinking a uh, raspberry gin and tonic. So I thought, hey, why not uh, add a little flavor to it? And it's not bad. I was worried it was going to taste really bad, but it's all right. <laughs> well, I, I always like to see what's in my fridge and my bar kind of last minute. So the first thing that caught my eye was a Kraken spiced rum. And I made some strawberry jam. I saw some raspberries and there's a lime and let's go mix this up together. And uh, I, I gave it to my wife and she said, hmm, ah, it's okay. I wouldn't order it, but it's okay. So eh, I always like to experiment on some stuff. But anyways. That's all right. Sometimes you get it right. And sometimes it's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> what are we going to cheers for? Yeah, yeah, cheers. I mean, apparently, like you're 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 both like vibing or like whatever whatever the the like Gen Z says like with the raspberries, and I feel like I need like a raspberry to like throw in my turmeric cocktail, but like that. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah, we. I don't know if the flavors will work out there, but yeah. <laughs> happy New Year's. Happy New Year. Tap toasting for a happy New Year. Start of uh, fun twenty twenty two, which is going to be a lot of stuff going on. We'll chat today. So, cheers. Cheers. So we got our warm-up, funny, ice-breaking question today, which is, uh, what was the best, worst prediction you made at the start of 2021? Best, worst prediction I made at the start of 2021. Hmm. I'm trying to remember, what what predictions did we make at the beginning of 2021? (laughs) I think everybody was predicting that the that the whole pandemic was going to kind of uh, the summer yeah, right? Yeah. So I think we all yeah. failed on that one. That was well, 
See, see, I, I, I actually feel like I, I, I predicted that like it would persist like through through the end of the year, and that like the vaccine wouldn't come as early. So like maybe that's a good bad prediction. Um, you, you had a realistic assessment there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like a good bad prediction has to be like about like one of the the startups that I saw that I thought was like going to be floundering, but ended up like you know absolutely killing it uh and you know certainly at times i can be like pretty cynical so i'm sure that that did happen at some point but it's it's escaping my mind you know new year <laughs> brain fog from the holidays so i i maybe will have to call a mulligan on that question <laughs> how, how about you tim do you have one you know I, I don't know that i have a best worst prediction but like my if i had to split it up like Worst prediction was I was overly optimistic about the pandemic. Uh, good prediction, but safe prediction. I don't think this was edgy enough to really be considered like a good prediction of Tim Gasper. Uh, was like I, I thought DBT was going to really explode. I, I thought the metrics layer was going to become a thing, and it, it feels like it's becoming a thing. So I get ver a very small pin for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you with on, the, on that metrics layer. Actually, kind of just a. A quick shout out. We're going to have Ben Stansel in a few weeks and we're going to talk about Metrics Layer. And I remember having some conversations. We all got together with Ben, right? And folks from DBT and also Peter Bayless from CC Data just talking about this Metrics Layer stuff. I don't know, probably six, eight, eight months ago. And here we are, it's getting popular. So and that's going to that's good. That's going to be a topic uh, very soon. But hey, let's just dive into our, our discussion here. So the, our honest, no BS discussion. Sure. We've had several conversations. I had the opportunity to finally meet you in person a, a while ago. Um, and one of the out of that conversation, one of the things uh, that you said that was a very unique point of view was you want to have data practitioners in the boardroom. So honest, no BS. What does that even mean to have data practitioners in the boardroom? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, you know, I think for like the past several years, we've been talking about like data driven decision making. And, you know, perhaps another question is like, what does that even mean? What does it mean to have data drive decisions? Now, ultimately, like you can't just put a data point or a chart in front of people and expect them them to make decisions. In fact, like decision making and data driven decision making will be, you know, an interplay between data, different people's interpretations of it, the way in which it's communicated. But what we're doing right now is effectively saying like we're going to put some charts in a boardroom and expect people even those without, you know, any formal training in data analysis or statistics or or uh, data viz or, or whatever else to figure it out. Now, I think like ultimately that that that's creating, uh, you know, missed opportunities on both sides, both on the part of the executive leadership who like can't really interact with the data. They can't ask questions about the data, how it was generated, what its limitations might be, but also on behalf of those who are producing the data who don't have, you know, the context for what decisions are being made, uh, what questions would be asked, what kind of quality is 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 needed from the data. So, so you know, I don't think it's enough to put data in the boardroom. 
I think you need data specialists, you need data analysts or, or other data practitioners who can understand the way in which data is being consumed, modify the way in which data is being produced based on that context, but also you know, guide some of the decision-making process with additional information and, and context. I think this is a, a, a fascinating perspective. And I know Juan and I have been going back and forth, you know, leading up to our conversation today, thinking a lot about this. Um, it, it's clear there's a couple of trends that are sort of adjacent to this, but not as far as you're saying. And so I'm curious about how you think about those things and, and if they aren't far enough, right? So like one of them is obviously like data literacy, right? Like can we up level the people's, you know, data and analytics understanding across roles across the organization. That's one thing. And the other thing is you've got obviously the rise of the role of the chief data officer now starting to come into the boardroom, you know, sometimes being in the boardroom, sometimes they have that title and they're not, unfortunately, right? Um, but you've got sort of the rise of the CDO. Um, it sounds like you're actually talking about one step further, which is like, a, you know, a chief analyst or like somebody who's in that room who really truly is a specialist in understanding and working with the data um, curious about how you see the interplaying interplay of what you're saying versus those two trends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, I think data literacy initiatives are very important, and I think we are seeing um, you know, more and more people in positions beyond the data team uh, develop a certain degree of data fluency, whether it's uh, kind of building up analytical skills, learning to think about uh data from multiple perspectives including thinking about like how it was generated what its limitations might be um and you know even acquiring more technical skills like writing sql and so on and so forth um honestly though i don't think that's enough because your your you know uh, marketing executive is not going to be the person who is building your DBT data models. It's just not an efficient use of their time if you have a data team in particular. Um, now, I find that in board meetings, I often have questions about like some of the data that is being presented that can't easily be answered because you know somebody who specializes in, in data who knows uh, what edge cases are associated with you know a revenue definition or who can speak to the lag associated in some sort of financial reporting due to you know, stripe integration is not there like I consider myself a pretty highly data literate person, um, but you know, the person who is ultimately you know, accountable for the data, not just the, the results, is not present in the room in which the conversation is being had. And so there, there's this opportunity for, for dialogue that is just missed. Um, Ultimately, I think like we need both data literacy and we need somebody uh, from the data team to, to be you know, having per participating in those conversations. Now, I think there, there's kind of a second question, like, does that person need to be part of the executive leadership team? Like I often see in board meetings, a director of sales. Uh, might be uh, participating in a discussion, even though the company doesn't have like a chief revenue officer. Uh, you know, I do think that 
more and more companies should be hiring uh, C-level data leaders. I think data teams are most effective when they're not reporting into another org. But I think there, there are kind of two different issues. One is, do we need executive leadership for data teams? And the other is, should data personnel be involved in strategic conversations? Or should they be you know, at least physically or, or digitally present in, in strategic conversations. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there's there's two dimensions to this, right? What you're saying here is there's the is there leadership, data leadership in the room, and then there literally are there practitioners in the room. That you're not trying to kind of combine those two things. You're saying they can actually be two separate things. I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting at is like anyone would be better than nothing. Okay. <laughs> like maybe maybe your company doesn't have a chief data officer. And it's one like you should consider that. Does your company need a, a uh, chief data officer? But you know, I, I, I feel pretty strongly convicted that like if you've got an analyst in the room, or you're you're going to get benefit from that. So it doesn't to be you know the the executive. I think like, do you need executive leadership for the data function, and do you need a data representative? Um, to participate in some of the, these uh, strategic conversations. Uh, I think the, those two questions can be considered separately. So have you seen this trend? Is this going on right now? I mean, you're in boardrooms, right? Are, are you, is this happening now? I mean, uh, or are you asking people to go do it so you're, the next boarding you're, you're going later this month or whatever, they will be there? Very curious. Yeah, so uh, both. Uh, we we recently hired a data strategist in in residence, a woman named uh, Emily Shario, who who has been attending board meetings and has been working with uh, Amplify portfolio companies on things like their their reporting, their analytics strategy, and. I swear it's a revelation. Like I, I I'm obviously very biased here, but when you can, you know, ask questions about the reporting when you understand, you know, the, the definitions, when you understand the provenance, uh, everybody, it's, it, it's just like you start speaking the, the same language. Everybody is, is kind of on a more level playing ground, like you, you've level set. And so you're not, you're not disagreeing because you have inconsistent mental models of what you know a data point means. You're disagreeing because you know there's some other fundamental source of, of disagreement. And I think uh, having the clarity around data um, just enables you to have much richer conversations about these strategic topics, not about you know disparities in in data or, or the presentation of data. So, so this is a two way street here, right? You want to be able to have like in the border, right? The the company itself having folks uh, from their team, their data team, let it be hopefully executives, data leaders in there who can actually go in and and answer those questions or provide the context where it is. And if they don't have the answer, they know exactly what's being asked and why and provide that. But the same time in the boardroom you'll have investors whatever like they should have their own data people come in or they should be enough or they should also be have that data literacy so they can start asking those smart questions instead of like 
just expecting a number and hearing that number and I just put into my spreadsheet, I'm done, right? I just take it for, for take it for as it as is. So so this is really interesting that it's it's almost like a call for arms for both sides, right? And I think this this is a very interesting point that I that is not common. And I'm I really hope that we start seeing more of this. It's like bring bring your data interpreter with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but 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 I think again, like you you nailed it. Like it it it's beneficial from from so many angles. The the other thing that I've seen too are there are times when you know the data team they're they're really like spinning their wheels to make sure that like a certain data point is precise. And you know, I hear about this, I'm like, why are you doing that? I like I don't actually care like what the act like what the MAU number is. I care that like it's directionally correct. I care about, you know, the the month over month percent change or something like that. And the reason why I care about that is, you know, XYZ, we're thinking about like making a new hire or like we have, you know, goals uh, associated with uh, becoming ubiquitous versus, versus, you know, revenue goals. I feel like data teams are are doing a lot of work often that they don't need to be doing because like they don't understand the way or have visibility into the way in which which you know data is being consumed. All right, so I think this is an excellent point here. I think everybody listening is all right. And make sure that in your boardroom you have your data interpreters, whoever those are, right, from both sides, right, from the company, the startup, or whatever, and also the board and investor side. I think this is this is a really important takeaway that we'll have. And so I want to take this conversation now to to what you're seeing, right? I mean, you are you are all over the place. You have an amazing overview of what's going on. And I think when when we chatted before, I'm like, okay. There's just so much stuff going on with the with the modern data stack. There's all these companies, and I'm like, okay, magic wand. This stuff is working now, right? We got the we've talked about the modern data stack, like the core, right? So you got your ETL, you got your five trend or whatever in your L, you got your DBT, you got your your Snowflake or your Databricks, and then you decide to expand on some analytics. You go do your reverse ETL, and you got your catalog. You got all that stuff. This is all working. You got your machine going chugging along. What's next? I mean, is it now great? Are we are we done? No, we're not done. But what 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 is next? What are you seeing that's missing from a from an executive strategy a process point of view? And I'm also curious, what is missing from a technology point of view? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny because I I feel like you often hear about this notion of like pendulum IT, where companies are like swinging back and forth between like on prem, off prem, um, and I think like they're <laughs> is kind of a similar pattern in, in data where we swing between like focusing on analysis and focusing on the underlying data. Um, it seems like for the past five years or so, particularly like in the most recent one to two years, companies have really focused heavily on their data on kind of crafting their data models, on you know, testing and monitoring the, those data models, on you know, ensuring that their metrics computations are, are you know, efficient, um, on documenting the, these data sets. And you know, I think a lot of that was kind of based on the previous experience where you know, companies were overly focused on analysis and you know, realized that like that analysis was often wrong because the, the underlying data was not of sufficient quality. Um, 
or you know they couldn't build the the like prediction services that they wanted to build because their ml models were you know based on data that was constantly drifting whatever it might be um but it does feel a little bit like in our kind of efforts to improve data quality to to shift focus from like just the analysis to to the data we've lost sight of what you do with the data now, this is a question that I often ask like data leaders, like, okay, you're investing, you know, all of this time, effort, energy in improving the quality of your data. So, so when your data is good, like, what do you do differently? And the, the, the answer that people often like give me is like, well, then our analysis is better. And like, sure, that's a start. But you know, I think we need to be focused more on thinking about like what, not just what can we do better, but what can we do that we could not do before with you know, data of insufficient quality. I mean, there there, there are some areas that I've, I've become you know increasingly interested in, uh, areas like like causal inference, which uh, I think are uh, ripe for opportunity because you know it's easier to understand causality when when there well when there are fewer uh, confounders uh, including you know confounders associated with with data quality um, so you know, I think there there is a lot of opportunity related to more advanced experimentation related to observational causal inference, and perhaps if we even push the boundaries further there um, into areas like parametric design or or even you know, automated hypothesis generation. Um, I think there there are other uh, kind of topics too where we can start to engage in more advanced forms of, of you know, data analysis. Uh, I think a lot of the the analysis that teams have been doing for the past several years has been very metrics driven. Uh, so so we're looking at at you know aggregations and sometimes though those aggregations kind of obfuscate a lot of interesting patterns related to user behavior or you know, subsets of users and and what they're doing. So I'm also excited about like sequence-based analytics and and you know things of that nature. Where do you think that some of these new types of focus, like things like hypothesis generation, causal inference, parametric design, where where are these things going to manifest most? Do you think it's going to be more tooling that supports the the data scientist? Is it going to kind of manifest itself in advanced features of the BI layer or maybe all of the above? Kind of curious as to some of your thoughts there. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a great question. So, so I, I, I'll, I'll start off in like the nearest term. I think like what will happen and what will probably happen imminently is that some executive is going to you know, say to to the data team leader, like you've been investing all of this time, all of this effort, all of this money into you know the these data models into these like gold data sets like so why like sh sh show me the the roi and i think like most of us can recognize that you know until data is acted upon until it is you know transformed into some sort of like product experience or until it informs a decision 
It's not valuable. Data sitting in your data warehouse is just not valuable until you do something with it. Um, I think the the next step that we're seeing now is is kind of the rise of you know, operational data of of you know some of these reverse ELT platforms where like the data is at least being piped into the the surface areas into the contexts where people are making decisions. Um, you're seeing more and more data apps, but I think like the ROI might still like it it, it may not be enough. And so I guess the the question then becomes like, where are data teams going to need to justify their existence the most? Uh, you know, who has invested most heavily in the these initiatives related to data quality? Uh, where you know they're they're going to need to really kind of explore the the uh, frontiers of what is possible in order to, to justify those investments. Wow. I don't, I don't know yet, but you know, certainly the, the obvious answer is like the companies with the biggest data teams, <laughs> the companies mm -hmm. that, you know, hired armies of people saying like, okay, as soon as we figure out this data quality thing, like goodness is going to happen. Mm. So, so what, what one could argue then that We've been, I like this pendulum analogy, right? So we, we did, we were doing all this in analytics. We realized that the stuff that we couldn't trust it because we didn't, we couldn't monitor it. It was bad, whatever. So we're focused all this effort right now and clean this data and everything. So kind of the natural thing is that we're just going to go back to where we were before. And we're like, Hey, now it works. It's clean and everything. We're like, okay. So you just took something that I guess was broken and now it's working. Now we can go trust it, but we're, we were doing it. And now we are just not doing it. We're not just only doing it better, but now we can uh, trust it and everything. Okay. But this is what we were doing five plus 10 years ago or even more. Right. So you <laughs> tell me something new. Right. So at this point, one can argue that we just, we've just spent spending the last decade to making sure we have strong foundations of everything, which is, we need this. Right. So what's next? And I think just go, saying that we're doing what we were what we were doing before that's not enough, right? Because people are not. Yeah. I mean, that there's no ROI. We were already doing this, right? It's it's almost like an aspirin versus the vitamin thing. Okay, now we you gave me a really great vitamin in a way. I, I don't know. I'm I'm playing this. I'm I'm just throwing this out of the top of my head here. But so now I'm very curious to get into these new areas. And I know you said causal inference, parametric design, hypothesis generation, sequence-based analytics. Let's honest, let's go into, into this really what this means. And I would love to get some examples from you of what you're seeing and or what should be the art of the possible that you're looking for as 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 uh, as investor. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So so I mean, I think like where I see like the more advanced companies are at is like experimentation. So, so you've got like, you know, your data models, you've got your metrics, like how do you generate ROI from them? Well, like you run experiments. And I think like many executives can also understand the, the value of experiments because so many of us were trained in like the scientific method in you know, elementary and middle school. Like you, you can understand the notion that like you run an experiment, you collect data, you analyze that data, and from that data, you generate a conclusion and that conclusion has impact. So, so experimentation seems to be like where many companies are at right now. But then you start kind of like 
dragging innovation into experimentation. You start moving from like, you know, two sample t-tests to like contextual bandits. And I think like that again is, is where you start to see some, some like really exciting things where you're not just, you know, testing hypotheses, you're testing multiple hypotheses, you're, you're generating hypotheses. Um, I, that, that's kind of the, the area that that's super exciting to me, like moving beyond, you know, the, the AB test to, to advanced experimentation. I think the other thing that is also exciting though, is like, sometimes you can't always run an experiment. Sometimes you don't have the, the sample size. Sometimes you maybe don't have like the, the, the right context for, for feature flagging or assignment and, and so many questions that businesses ask, like they're, they are about causality or they do require you know, some understanding of like mechanism of action. And I think you know, observational causal inference is another field that has been like relatively underexplored, perhaps for, for some good reasons, but I'm hoping that within the next several years, like some of the, the technologies, including, you know, for example, to, to like validate um, causal models will improve, exist, um, and, and, you know, unlock more opportunities there. Hmm. This, this whole topic is, is fascinating. And, you know, I, it, it, it reminds me and makes me think of some of the experimentation platforms that exist out there that are focused more around, let's say, things like e-commerce or things like personalization, right? You have sites like or services like Optimizely and things like that, right, where they're trying to do like A-B testing and things like that. Um, but it's sort of focused on certain use cases. It, it's interesting to think about how um, technology and then obviously people in process can help with um, other kinds of of feedback loops, other kinds of, of decision cycles. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it doesn't seem like, and maybe this is part of your, sort of your thesis here is that like, it doesn't seem, it seems like there's a lot of missing pieces to really make that effective, but the potential is very high. Like, you know, when you're looking at like, uh, web analytics, for example, you've got a lot of, data already that is sort of observing the behavior of users and things like that. And, and in some cases you have that within, you know, other use cases in the business, but in other cases you don't, like you're not, you, there isn't enough observational data about that. Is that another key part of all of this is like having more observational information about your business, like taking this concept of event tracking and, and not just thinking of it as like people clicking on websites and starting to bring it to other parts of the business. I don't know, kind of just brainstorming here. Curious as to your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that kind of takes me in like two different directions. One is actually like revisiting the, the topic that we were talking about earlier, that, that this notion of like the need for data practitioners in, in the boardroom. I think one of the, the, the most compelling reasons to include data people in the boardroom is that there are so many topics that could benefit from additional data, from additional, you know, observations. Um, that data teams are not typically focused on. The one that comes to mind, for example, is hiring. Like so many uh, early stage startup uh, board conversations really hinge on like hiring. Uh, who are our like highest priority hires? Who do we need to add to the leadership team? 
uh, why are we hiring faster or slower than than anticipated? And you know, a lot of the, the, those discussions could actually uh, be improved or could be informed by by additional data. But like recruiting analytics, hiring analytics is not typically a focus for data teams. Instead, they're focused more on like product analytics or or like financial reporting. So I, I think there there are all of these kind of domains where we're not collecting data or we're not analyzing data um, that you know data practitioners would have more visibility into if they were participating in, in those discussions. The other thing that you know, I've been thinking a lot about, and I, I you know, haven't yet formed conclusions about what this necessarily means, but in the past like 10 years or so, I think like we've often talked about like data as exhaust or as uh, you know, the, the, the role of the data team as being uh, to analyze like digital exhaust. So the data team, you know, we talk about like data preparation, data cleaning, et cetera. Like the data team is essentially given exhaust and said, like, make this into something valuable. Now, what if like the data team was not analyzing exhaust? What if the data team was analyzing data that was purpose built for its function? The, the, the area where I see this, I think most clearly is, you know, event tracking. Um, for years, I think like data teams have been responsible for, you know, trying to understand user behaviors, but they do so by looking at, you know, logs and events that were really designed to determine is our app running? Like is, is, is the site down? Um, mm -hmm. Or to like power the, the app functionality. The, the, the events were not defined and implemented for the purpose of understanding user behavior. Now I'm starting to see more teams kind of transition to a model where when a new feature is released, the data team is involved in that process and you know, has the opportunity to kind of define their requirements. Like what data do they need, not just what will be available to them to determine if you know, that feature release was successful or not, or if you know, the hypotheses that the company had about you know, that product change were correct. Um, this feels significant like this feels significant that data teams are not just going from analyzing you know digital exhaust to analyzing a new set of data that is purpose-built for analysis but i'm still thinking through kind of the implications of that yeah we i mean we even think about this at data.world a lot when we're thinking about like how do we track analytics of our own platform is this concept of semantic events that are much more useful from an analytic perspective rather than just the broader data exhaust and unfortunately i'm sure many companies struggle with this sometimes it's hard to really go get up front be proactive and do a lot of that semantic event collection because you have to be proactive about it and a lot of times you're like oh wait i wish we had tracked this event instead of having these 10 sort of loosely connected events and i don't know it's, it's interesting to think about how we can do a better job of you know I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of things that can help here but one of them is like empowering and enabling these upstream teams to be thinking about their downstream consumers, right? Which which starts to connect into, I know what our next topic is gonna be is around sort of like decentralization, data mesh, that sort of thing, right? 
Yeah. I, I wanted to bring up one of the reasons I I am just so lucky I get to do this podcast is because I we get to talk to so many people and start connecting dots that we didn't know were there. And this just what you just said is connecting a dot from I listened to the podcast that Shamak did with at the Data Engineering Podcast, and I connected that dot with the previous episode we had with uh, with um, um, with uh, Mohammed Sadi, who was a former VP of Engineering of Intuit. And it's all about, and and that connects to what we've done also with uh, data centric architecture with Dave McComb. So here's what here's what I'm listening, what I'm hearing right now, is I'm actually reading. I'm going to read something I wrote about this stuff here. Is that the application developers they produce the data, but at the end of the day, they're also the consumers of that data, and this gap is what we need to go close, and we need to have that feedback. But the problem is that the app developers they don't own their data and the whole point is that they should be owning their data and 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 this is so the question is does the responsibility where does this the responsibility of data land and we've talked about this before Sarah. we're having an email exchange about like wait so does it mean that the software engineers now have to be responsible not only for software but for data uh i don't know maybe and guess what when we had that conversation with mamad his point was like yes this is an engineering problem. The VP of engineering, the CTO, should be the person who is owning and responsible for that. And this is connected to also what uh, Dave McComb talks about, his whole data-centric architecture, right? You need to have a simple, single, extensible model. So if we really start thinking about this, and, and you have your, your extensible model of the core concepts in your organization, you define your applications, and that log data that you're generating, it's not just like, oh, that's the side work that I did. No, that's actually beautiful data that is well-modeled, that goes off into logs, but that other, other people are going to go analyze that and they don't have to go figure out what this stuff means because it's actually connected directly to what uh, the application was doing because the application and the business models are working together. So going into the whole data mesh and, and, and even in this in that past episode, I, I remember the question about that that um, they asked Shamak was about data jobs, right? What are going to be the next jobs? And and she said the impact of data mesh is if data mesh is success, there will only be engineers. All these kind of rainbow of data roles should go away because they're just these intermediate roles to 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 fill in the gaps, but they're actually generating more gaps. So I so I, this is this is this is truly changing so much from a technology perspective. Like we, you're you're telling me that we have to go develop software that's connected with the data models that's generate the data. Who are the people who's responsible? Are software engineers need to go data? We we talk about data bringing the data team to the business units, but now we're bringing the data team into the software engineering. This is this is a huge different thing of what we've been doing, and I think this is what's super exciting. We need something different. All right, that was my rant. <laughs> no, 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 I love it. I love it. Although, like, I would take issue with, with, with you know, the, the, the notion that, like, everybody is going to become engineers. Um, one of the things that I feel like is, is so undervalued in, like, the world is that analysis is a skill set. Like, engineering, building things, and analyzing things, not the same skill. So, so like, I, I, I think in perpetuity, like there will be need for data analysis. There will be needs for engineering. And like, sometimes those may converge in the same person, but I, if I had like any gripe about uh, data and the data ecosystem, it would be like the number of companies that, that just act as if like, analysis is is intuition like 
it's not. That's why there's analysis and there's intuition <laughs> anyway. Um, but, you know, I think, I think one of the things that, that kind of I missed early on when, when, you know, thinking about, you know, some of these notions of, of data mesh and, and, um, decentralized accountability for for data versus like centralized accountability for for data like i was very focused on on who should be accountable for data when data is treated as a product like who is the product owner where the answer to who was like what role what person and i think you know, my my objection to to the notion that you know engineers should be responsible and accountable for for data quality and the quality of data products was that you know engineers have to be responsible and accountable for for the quality and delivery of software and features and like we can't keep adding things uh to the the list of like job requirements for for any given role but i think i think who like what person what role is is probably like the wrong abstraction i think like we need to start thinking more about teams and i think the notion that product teams should be responsible for uh data quality for for data products is is very reasonable now i think that does lead to kind of a new way of organizing data teams where you have analytics engineers, data analysts embedded into product teams who can work with other engineers to instrument new features, to uh, determine the, the you know, event schemas and, and, and such, and who have visibility into both how the data is generated and then you know, how it is, is consumed downstream. So, I, I, I have really kind of come around to, to this idea that, you know, product teams can be accountable for, for data quality and data products, um, albeit perhaps not like product engineers. I, I like what you're proposing here because it feels like, I mean, maybe the ultimate sort of edgy vision is a little bit like what Mamad is talking about in terms of like, oh, engineers are engineers and they can kind of accomplish all these things, but if we start to think of product teams as having data expertise, and you know, if we're thinking in data mesh terms, like the decentralized component, right, the domain component, like being embedded as part of them, maybe that's sort of an incremental improvement that we can make here to get data to become more, you know, data, but also you know, downstream analysis and semantics and things like that to be more of a first stream, uh, a first class citizen when, we, when we're building these products sort of embedded within that process, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, what if product teams or product engineering teams were not just responsible for delivering features, but if the successful delivery of a feature hinged on being able to objectively evaluate if that feature changed you know, user behavior or impacted you know, the company's other strategic objectives in a meaningful way. Now, I think like that definition of uh, you know, software development of, of you know, feature delivery, application delivery, um, 
it is more kind of inclusive of data. I think it's it's that sort of like behavioral change or or you know that sort of of uh, perspective that helps us move closer to to you know data driven decision making. Right. Um, otherwise, yeah, and- we're saying like there is software, there is or like there is product there is data and there's decisions and these are all like very discrete units and and so we're not going to pay attention to like the interfaces between those right well and and i think we're getting some confirmation also from some folks over on the social platforms here seeing steve-o posting on facebook saying depending on the value stream of teams they can be composed of app developers and data analysts it's actually a common scrum practice to have self-sufficient teams um, and I agree with that in, in in spirit. Although I'd love to see more folks do that. I feel like we don't we don't see enough of that actually in practice, perhaps in in spirit or in framework. But there needs to be more of that actually happening. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I go back to the notion too that like data for analysis of user behaviors needs to be treated as as a first class citizen we can't just have you know data analysts responsible for for examining digital exhaust like i don't know how we convinced ourselves that you know companies could be data driven when they were using exhaust so I, I, I think you know, <laughs> the, 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 this sort of organizational pattern will, will help us get to, to you know, a better place where you don't honestly have to do as much like data preparation and testing and monitoring, et cetera, because like the data that, that uh, data teams are working with is just like inherently better. Well, th- this has been a fascinating discussion. I think we need to start wrapping up and as, as I'm, Told you, Sarah, we could just talk for hours here, and we got so much notes here. But we're going to go move on to our lightning round, which is uh, presented by Data.World, who thankfully lets us do all this, uh, lets us spend our time to go have this podcast. Uh, Data.World, the world's only truly data catalog that is cloud native. And with that, I'm going to kick it off with the first lightning round question. So, number one, let's do it. Will the data practitioner role in the boardroom benefit from being an executive level, like a chief analyst, or is that unnecessary? Yes. So, oh, it has yeah. an executive. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it will be. <laughs> hey, that was a trick question. That was a trick question. No, it's not question. unnecessary. Yes, it will be beneficial <laughs> to have executive yes. leaders uh, for, for data functions. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> Um, so next, uh, lightning round question. So we talked about data practitioners in the boardroom. Um, should we also be bringing live analysis and data science tools into the boardroom, AKA let's try to say bye-bye to slides. Ooh, eventually, am I allowed to say that? Not yet. That's fair. <laughs> we'll get there. More data literacy first, then then we can then we can move to like real time and and uh, different forms of like data reporting. So, are we going to stop analyzing digital data exhaust exhaust data digital exhaust data? Yeah, we should probably not going to do it in the data world or like in the world we never do what we should be doing with data. So. That's the cynical outlook. Yeah, what we should be doing versus reality, perhaps for a while, right? Um, 
All right, last lightning round question for you. I'm going to ask you to put your sort of prognosticator's hat on. So 10 years from now, does the modern data stack still look like it does? You know, warehouse, lake, transform, BI, data integration, or do you foresee a radical shift? And I know 10 years is a long time and, you know, you probably have a few different trends you're looking at, but do you foresee a radical shift in the next 10 years on the modern data stack? Yes, the modern data stack, I think, is still very like batch based. And and frankly, I think like streams are a better representation of the world and better abstraction for, for reality. Hmm. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm adding another one here. I was curious about based on the last discussion we had. So will bonus we be seeing, round. Yeah, bonus round, bonus round. Will we, will we be seeing data analytic, data engineers, analytics engineers part of the product team anytime soon? In the next couple of years. Oh yeah, for sure. Again, and it and I think like it it should be that way. Mm. I love it. Right. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I, I, I love it. So this is this is exactly the discussions we need to be having. We want people to be listening to this, and and uh, I'm actually now curious. Like, is this like a big uh, foreign concept? Are people like? What are you talking about? Or are people like, no, this makes sense. Let me go start making, let me start making some changes or figuring out how to go make these changes. How, how are you seeing this? Yeah, you know, I think people acknowledge that that though it, it makes sense, but I think like they, they, they see things somewhat incrementally, like, okay, we need to, we need to like centralize our data team before we can decentralize our, our data team. We, we uh, need to, you know, build our, our set of data models before we can like go embed analytics engineers into product teams. I don't know that that is actually necessary. I don't know that like centralization is a tax that you have to pay on your way to decentralization, but um, don't quote me on that. But I don't know. It doesn't mean I, I know, but I'm not saying <laughs> it means you don't know. We hear that. <laughs> we appreciate it. Honest, no BS mm -hmm. here. That's yeah. it. All right. Well, it's our TTT. Tim takes it away with takeaways first. All Tim, right. You go. I'll, I'll do some a lot of in, initial takeaways. I mean, first of all, thanks, Sarah. There's, there's so much gold here. Such great conversation. It's been a, a true pleasure. Um, and I, I think the, the biggest takeaway what we started with was around, you know, when you're trying to drive uh, data driven decisions, you need to have uh, the people who know in the room where it's happening, uh, and that's data people, data practitioners in the boardroom. Um, and that's a key shift from how people are often thinking that the, the data people are sort of the, uh, you know, the, the elves in the background building the toys so that the boardroom people can bring in their nice slides and, and kind of, you know, talk to them and things like that. But then you have questions and you're like, well, how did you get to that number? And, you know, well, could we run this experiment and bringing that data expertise in the room in addition to trying to drive data literacy, in addition to trying to empower with self-service tooling and things like that can be really, really impactful. So really great takeaway. And I think can can be something that people put into action right away and invite your analysts, your best analysts, bring them to the room, let them be there. Right. Um, so I think that's that's super cool. And uh, Juan, what were your key takeaways? Well, I, I got, so I, I like this analogy of the whole pendulum IT, which really, which basically the takeaway of this is like, we are just doing what we were supposed to be doing 10 years ago. 
five years ago, whatever. Okay, we're finally getting to that point, right? So yeah, we've previously we were focusing on analysis and realized stuff was wrong. So that's why this pendulum has gone to the other side. And now we've been focusing on crafting our data models, documenting, monitoring, make sure that the data has high quality and so forth. So it's that when we go back, we can now go do our, our analytics. But the question there is, you're investing all this time to improving the quality. So what? What's next, right? Doing a better analysis is better, but that's just the start. And, and, and I think people are being are asking now, they're data leaders, you've been investing so much into this data to creating this beautiful data. What is the ROI on this? Having that data, just having this clean, beautiful data sitting in your data warehouse by itself is not doing anything. Metrics, yeah, that's the starting point, but we got to do more of that. So I'm really liking the, the thinking about what's next. Um, let's go run more experiments, right? I mean, it's something we've been doing, but like, what is the next wave of running experiments? So we talked a little bit about causal inference. I think we there's opportunities to go dive a lot more into this. And, and, and causal inference is really interesting because those are the questions that the business, that the, that the executives are asking about. Um, hypothesis generation, right? All this type of stuff. This is the, the, the next type of stuff that we, people are asking that we don't have, that we're not doing right now. And, um, a lot of the focus today is on product analytics, and and there's some other areas that we could be focusing on analytics. Like you mentioned, like HR analytics. So basically, there's a lack of data. I think those are opportunities where you can go start doing the next things. Um, and uh, we've been talking about this whole who's accountable for the data. Is that if we push this to the engineering team, is it engineering responsible? Your point is no, because they're responsible for software. But the answer here seems to be to be able to bring in those the, those data folks inside of the product team i think that that's that and I, I agree with that i think it's 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 unreasonable to think that the engineering the, the engineers are going to go be responsible for everything something key that you said was building things and analyzing things are very different skills so how did we do on our takeaways anything else nailed it <laughs> no, nailed it, nailed it. And, and, you know, I, I, I liked, you know, the holiday spirit and the analogy of like the data elves preparing for, for, you know, the Christmas board meeting. <laughs> but <laughs> Maybe three uh, weeks too late in the analogy, but still pretty, yeah. still, I still like it. <laughs> yeah. well, Sarah, let me throw it back to you. Uh, two questions. What's your advice about data, about life or whatever? And second, who should we invite next? Yeah, I mean, I, if I had like two takeaways, three takeaways based on on this discussion, it would be invite data practitioners to your board meetings and other strategic conversations. Um, understand how you are going to use data and take that into consideration as you are thinking about how it needs to be prepared and and. Uh, presented and don't treat data like exhaust. If you think data is valuable, it's more valuable than exhaust. Uh, so that that that's my theory. And then the second question was, who should we invite next? Who should? Oh yeah, of course. Um, Chad Sanderson at Convoy, I think, has like a very nuanced and unique way of thinking about like valuing data and uh, determining where to make investments in in the like data foundations that do relate the way in which data will be consumed and the way in which data can impact the business to the kind of requirements or technical requirements for for the underlying data. So. Uh, so Chad, Chad, up next. Chad Sanderson. Yeah. 
Chad Sanderson from Convoy? Yes. Well, what a coincidence because I we literally connected on LinkedIn earlier this week. And I think yesterday nice. we had a conversation and it was 30 minutes of just like, oh my God, like you get me, I get you. Like, this is so awesome. And and they are, and he was telling me everything that they've been talking, just building over there. And I'm like, wow. And he's literally doing the whole pushing it into the engineers and everything. All right, Chad, we have an upcoming meeting, but we're going to do the calendar practice. So this is awesome. Again, <laughs> nice. so many dots getting connected. This is so cool. Right now. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Uh, just one quick announcement. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we don't know. There's this Data Council AI conference in Austin, January 27th, 28th. You'll be there. We'll be there. Hopefully, it happens. We may have some uh, private or non-private or, or hidden or unhidden <laughs> uh, Catalan cocktails meetup because a lot of previous guests and upcoming guests will be there, so it'll be fun. And then uh, next week, we're going to have Emily Hawkins from Drizzly. Uh, she is, uh, she's just doing so much stuff on the whole analytics engineering space and doing courses and stuff. Uh, she's a fantastic, uh, member of the community. And we'll be talking about modern data stack from the trenches. Sarah, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And we also thank you to data world who supports us on catalog and cocktails. Have a great Wednesday and a great start of the year. Thank you. Happy new Cheers. year and enjoy Happy the raspberries. <laughs> this is catalog and cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Cataloging Cocktails fan base.